A warning, this episode features dramatizations and discussions of assault and graphic violence. Listener discretion is advised, especially for listeners under 13. Something to note, all myths have many versions and variations. For this episode, we've selected those we felt are the most dramatic and supplemented them with research into Aztec history. Because mythology comes from oral tradition, there's a wide variety across sources. Our myths may not always be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you'll enjoy them. The only thing Huitzilopochtli had ever known was the dark, damp warmth of his mother's womb. He sometimes heard sounds from the outside world, the servants bringing his mother tea, her daily sweeping of the temple, the hiss of the snakes she wore around her waist as a skirt. But mostly he heard and felt only the sound of her heartbeat. Usually it was slow, strong, and steady, but right now, something was very wrong. The walls around Huitzilopochtli vibrated as the beats became short and fast. He heard distant screams, strange chanting, and a loud banging. The heart beat faster and faster. Huitzilopochtli heard his mother sob in anguish. She was in danger. Huitzilopochtli had to help her. He pushed against the walls as his body began to expand. He had to get out. I'm coming for you, mother. Huitzilopochtli, no, it's too soon. <gasps> Huitzilopochtli gave one last kick and light flooded in around him. He leaped from his mother's womb to the solid floor of her bedchamber. He wobbled for a moment, but soon found his footing. Looking down, he saw that his arms and legs were thick with muscle. He had been born fully formed, with the body of an adult man and clad in the armor of a warrior. A sword hung from his waist. Looking around, Huitzilopochtli saw that he and his mother were not alone. A throng of 400 gods surrounded them, bristling with spears and swords. As Huitzilopochtli gazed around at their faces, there was no mistaking the family resemblance. My brothers and sisters, how wonderful to finally meet you. The gods erupted in cries of fury and charged Huitzilopochtli. The newborn responded without thinking. He drew his sword and swung. The gods pressed in around him, but Huitzilopochtli was unstoppable. He fought like a jaguar, lopping off heads and limbs. Within moments, the bodies of the gods lay dead on the ground around him. Panting from the effort and dripping with the blood of his siblings, Huitzilopochtli turned to face his mother. She lay on her bed, staring at her fallen children in shock and horror. Huitzilopochtli beamed. Mother! How wonderful to finally meet you. Welcome to Mythology, a ParCast original. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
To stream Mythology for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. Today, we're discussing the founding myth of the city of Tenochtitlan. The city was home to the Aztecs, a fierce warrior tribe known for dark rituals of human and animal sacrifice. But they did not start out that way. Before they became the Aztecs, they were a nomadic tribe called the Mexica. They were led out of their previous home and to Tenochtitlan by Huitzilopochtli, god of the sun and war. It is his story that we will start today. Coming up, we'll begin the story of Tenochtitlan. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Long before it was the site of modern-day Mexico City, before the invasion of Cortez, and even before it was the home of the Aztecs, the Valley of Mexico was inhabited by a variety of different tribes. Meanwhile, the Mexica lived in an area known as Aztlan. But unlike the cities of Teotihuacan or Tula, we have no proof that Aztlan was a real historical place. The primary evidence of its existence is in the myths and stories that surround it. If the legends are to be believed, Aztlan was something of a paradise for the early Mesoamerican tribes. It was located near a large lake where food and water were plentiful, and according to some myths, the area was set at the base of a mountain that granted immortality to those who climbed it. While we cannot confirm the existence of Aztlan, scholars have confirmed that sometime between 1100 and 1300 CE, tribes began to migrate out of this area and into the basin of Mexico. Their stories were passed down by oral tradition until the Aztecs wrote them into volumes of books called the Codices. It is through these manuscripts that we've come to learn about the origins of the great Aztec city, Tenochtitlan. The story centers around a tribe called the Mexica, who were the last tribe to leave Aztlan. When the Mexica were leaderless, they called on the warrior god Huitzilopochtli for help. The goddess Kotlikyu could always be recognized by her strange apparel. Each morning she woke, dressed in a skirt made of living serpents, and adorned her neck with a chain made of human hearts heads and hands. These were tokens she had collected from enemies past. Then she would take her broom and cleaning bucket and go to the temple, high on Serpent Mountain. She would go from room to room, sweeping, mopping, and polishing until there was not a speck of dirt to be found. On one such morning, Kotlikyu was standing on a ladder and brushing cobwebs from a high corner when something caught her attention. A big, beautiful ball of feathers was hurtling down from the sky. Ah, those colors! Green, yellow, radiant red! I have never seen anything like them before. 
Kotlikyu reached up and took the ball of feathers from the air, then tucked them into her belt. She could examine them when her task was complete. She swept every corner and dusted the stone carvings on the walls. When the temple was finally clean, she put away her tools and reached into her belt for the ball of feathers. Now, where is it? I know I put it right here. You didn't eat it, did you? You naughty little serpents. But what would you want with some feathers? Perhaps it was a figment of my imagination. Those colors were like something out of a dream. Kotlikyu returned to her bedroom, heartbroken that she'd been unable to find the feathers. Three weeks later, she was pregnant. Kotlikyu was shocked. She had not lain with a man in ages. Her husband was the cloud serpent Mishkoatl, and he had been away for some time. No men had entered her palace in his absence, and she had not been outside. There was only one possible explanation. The feathers! Oh, little baby, how you have surprised me. <laughs> but I know you have fluttered into my belly for a reason. I shall call you Huitzilopochtli, after the hummingbird. Kotlikyu returned to her day-to-day -day routine, and her belly began to grow. Soon, her 400 sons and two daughters took notice. The siblings fumed with anger. They didn't believe Kotlikyu's story about the feathers and were certain that she had betrayed their father. The new baby would not be a true sibling, but a threat to all of them. They appointed their sisters, Melina Xochitl and Koyoshauki, to be their leaders. Melina Xochitl was greatly feared among her siblings for her ability to command scorpions, snakes, and other venomous creatures. She led the gods to the palace doors and called for her mother. Mother dearest, will you not open the door for your favorite daughter? I wish to see how you're faring. Please, Melina Xochitl. I love this child as I love all of you. But you already have so many. And aren't we wonderful? It would be so easy and so satisfying to just be rid of this baby. And I could charm you to make you forget it. No, daughter. No. Remember that I tried to help you. My brothers and my sister. Gather round me, gather close. It is time we avenge our father. Kotlikyu ran upstairs and barricaded herself inside her bedroom. She put a hand on her belly and began to weep. She knew she would not be able to fend off all her children by herself. All she could do was wait until they broke down the doors. Suddenly, she felt a strong kick inside of her. She clutched her belly in pain. Another contraction followed, and then another in rapid succession. Huitzilopochtli, no, it is too soon. She felt her stomach cramp as the doors to her bedroom burst open and her children swarmed through. Kotlikyu's vision blurred as another spasm of pain gripped her. And then suddenly, Huitzilopochtli stood before her. Somehow, he'd been born fully grown and already dressed in armor, Instead of hair, his head was covered in bright, colorful feathers that cascaded down his back. He drew his sword as his siblings closed in around him. 
Code McHugh watched in horror as Huitzilopochtli fell on her other children. One after another of her sons fell beneath the newborn god's blade. Her youngest daughter shrieked in pain and then was silenced as Huitzilopochtli lopped off her head. But the older girl was more clever. Kotlikyu glimpsed Malina Xochitl darting away through the bloodbath. The goddess transformed into a scorpion, scurried up a wall, and disappeared through a window. Within minutes, the fighting was over. Kotlikyu's bedchamber was littered with the bodies of her dead children. She shut her eyes and wept. Out of over 400 offspring, only a few sons and one daughter remained. Next, Huitzilopochtli is called to a great journey. Now, back to the story. Huitzilopochtli was born into violence. He had stepped from his mother's womb, fully formed and clad in armor, to find his 400 divine siblings waiting to kill him. But the newborn god was stronger than they could have imagined. He slaughtered his attackers without hesitation. Only a few brothers and his older sister, Malina Xochitl, escaped the massacre. When the killing was done, Huitzilopochtli looked around at his fallen siblings, and his chest swelled with pride. But when he turned to his mother, he was surprised to see tears streaming down her face. Mother, why are you crying? I have saved us! Have you no heart? Look around! My children are dead! But they were going to kill us. Huitzilopochtli was confused. He had fought to protect his mother, but now she refused to look at him. Perhaps she would have preferred if he had died and his siblings had lived. Fine! If all you care about is my siblings, then I shall throw them to the sky where you can always look at them. Huitzilopochtli picked up pieces of his brother's bodies and threw them into the sky. They stuck and became the stars. Then he threw his sister Koyoshauki's head, and she became the moon. He turned back to his mother, but Kotlikyu simply shook her head and swept out of the room. Huitzilopochtli paced the room for some time, but his mother did not return. He sensed that he had done something wrong, but he did not understand. He felt lonely and sad, and when he looked down at his bloody hands, he was suddenly filled with shame. When he looked out at the sky and saw the moon and the stars, he began to fidget. He did not want to look at them, so he lay on the bed and tried to sleep, willing this feeling of regret to go away. Huitzilopochtli, hear me. Who's there? Huitzilopochtli sat up and looked around for the source of the voice, but the room was empty. Huitzilopochtli, son of the Earth Mother, slayer of gods, hear my prayer. Huitzilopochtli, Huitzilopochtli. What? What is it? 
Suddenly, Huitzilopochtli felt his body being squeezed. There was a great rushing sensation as he was pulled downward. His vision blurred, and everything changed as he came to a sudden halt. Huitzilopochtli blinked in surprise and took in his new surroundings. He was in a long, thatched building that appeared to be some kind of temple. A young priest knelt before him, bathed in sweat. His eyes were shut tight, but his mouth hung slightly open. A bowl of incense burned at his feet. Strangest of all, Huitzilopochtli's body had taken the shape of a small, fluttery bird. Huitzilopochtli, you have heard my prayer. How could I not? You would not stop whispering in my ear. Who are you, and why have you summoned me? I am Tenoch, High Priest of the Mexica. I have called upon you out of desperation, for you are the Almighty Warrior, the one who slew many of the 400 gods, who created the moon and the stars from the limbs of your own siblings. You know about that? Our mortal lives are but an instant in your time. I learned about your heroism when I was a boy. The way you defended your mother when you were just a newborn yourself. I've never heard anything so courageous. Oh, yes. <laughs> I suppose it was rather brave. I knew then that if Mexica were ever in trouble, you were the one we should turn to. Well, that time has come. For years, the land beneath our feet has been drying up. Now, I fear that our home is beyond saving. Then I suggest you should find a new home. My mother's earth is vast. Alas, we do not know where to go. And the Mexica are leaderless. If we only had someone brave and courageous, someone with the wisdom to lead us to a new place, then we would fear nothing. You will have a hard time finding such a figure among humans, I'm afraid. Precisely my thinking. But if you were to help us... Me? Who else? You are wise and strong. Why were you born with a sword at your side if you were not meant to defend those in need? Please, guide the Mexica, and we will show you the honor you deserve. You will be the most revered of all gods. Huitzilopochtli considered the priest's words. He was glad that someone understood why he had fought his siblings, but he still could not forget the way his mother had looked at him. Perhaps if he led these people to wherever they wanted to go, she would see that he was more than just a killer. Very well, priest. Have your people make preparations. I shall visit you tomorrow and lead you to... What did you call it? The new place? Thank you, almighty warrior. I will never forget this. Tainoch bowed and extinguished the bowl of incense. Huitzilopochtli felt his body being squeezed again, and an instant later he was rushing upwards. Suddenly he was back on Serpent Mountain. He looked around at his home and wondered when he would see it again. Mother? I am leaving, Mother. I came to say goodbye. Do not try to stop me. I have promised the Mexica people that I would lead them to a new home. Well, goodbye. Wait. I told you, Mother. I will not try to stop you. 
Perhaps this journey is the reason you were sent to me. Oh. But let me at least offer you some guidance. The Mexica will need water and fertile land. You should look for a great lake with a cactus growing at its center. An eagle rests on the cactus, clutching a serpent. When you see the lake, you will know your journey has come to an end. An eagle on a cactus holding a snake? That is all I can say now. But trust that you will know it when you see it. But you are the Earth's mother. Can't you give me something more? Where is the lake? Is the eagle always there, only sometimes? And what if it's already eaten the snake? Huitzilopochtli, you are impulsive and passionate. These are your strengths and your weaknesses to overcome. Your birth brought about many deaths, and that is something we will both carry forever. But if you learn to direct your passions to the protection of life, the Earth will have a great ally indeed. I will try my best. With that, Kotlikyu kissed her son and said goodbye. As Huitzilopochtli flew down to Earth as a hummingbird, he was surprised to see that the moon and the stars still hovered above him in the sky. The sight filled him with dread and guilt, but he tried his best to ignore them and focus on the task at hand. An eagle holding a snake on top of a cactus at the center of a lake. All things that are common enough on my mother's earth. This should be easy. Huitzilopochtli arrived to find the Mexica people ready and waiting, just as Tenoch had promised. He landed on the priest's finger and pointed his beak south. Huitzilopochtli has given his sign. We shall travel south. The Mexica walked for days and then weeks. It was hard going. The elderly moved slowly, the children cried, and the animals consumed almost as much food and water as they carried. Eventually, they came upon a place called Potscoro, spotted with small lakes and watering holes. Tainoch felt it was a good place for his people to rest, so he slipped into a deep meditation and prayed to his god. What is it, Tainoch? I thought we might let the people rest and replenish their strength. There will be time for that when we reach the place my mother promised, marked by an eagle holding a snake atop a cactus. Do you see any eagle holding a snake? Do you see the cactus? We are not as strong as you are. Our legs cannot travel as far as your wings can fly. If the people do not rest soon, I fear they will start to question the journey altogether. Their faith should not be so easily shaken. But have it your way. They can rest for a few hours. Then we move on again, and I will hear no more about it. The Mexica were overjoyed. Many of them ran into the lake, leaving their clothes by the shore. The children splashed and played while the adults floated nearby. Some of the Mexica were enjoying themselves so much that they wondered aloud whether they should stop here and rest for a much longer sleep. Huitzilopochtli listened as they spoke and became angry. They asked me to guide them, then disregard my instructions. If they think they know better, let them stay. Tainoch! I am here, my god. It is time to be moving on. I will round up the bathers then. No. I have heard them whispering behind my back. Clearly, they would prefer to stay here. 
so we shall let them. You mean to leave them behind? It is a lesson in respect. Round up those that are ready to go and instruct them to steal the bathers' clothes so they cannot follow. Tainoch was hesitant but decided to trust his god, so he did as Huitzilopochtli instructed. The Mexica gathered up the clothes of the bathers and departed without a word. As they were leaving, a tiny scorpion crawled into one of the Mexica wagons. Huitzilopochtli did not notice, for he was watching the bathers to make sure they did not follow. And so the Mexica continued southward, a bit lighter in numbers. Tenoch felt guilty for leaving so many of his people behind, but he trusted Huitzilopochtli's wisdom. If only he had not suggested stopping to rest in the first place. As Tenoch was mired in these dark thoughts, a woman appeared on the path ahead. The priest was so distracted that he didn't notice her until she was a few feet ahead. Hello there, good priest. No. Oh. Tainoch came to an abrupt halt and stared at the woman. She had long, dark hair and an intricately embroidered red robe, and she was staggeringly beautiful. So sorry for almost running you over. I should pay better attention. But, uh, who are you? Just a priestess from a tribe that once lived in this area. I have heard that you and the Mexica are a little lost. I have come to offer my services as a guide. That is very kind of you, but we are already led by the great god Huitzilopochtli. You are welcome to travel with us, if you'd like. Oh, I would not trouble you. If you do not need my assistance, I will return to my own home. Tainoch was so taken by this priestess that he hardly noticed a tiny scorpion scurrying across the path. It crawled up his ankle and plunged its stinger into his flesh. Ouch! Something just... bit... me. As the venom coursed through Tenoch's veins, his eyes took on a glassy stare. His heart hammered in his chest as he stared at the red priestess. Is something the matter? Uh, my apologies. On second thought, Huitzilopochtli has seemed stressed since we left the watering hole. I'm sure additional help would be much appreciated, if you wouldn't mind. <laughs> Why, of course. As we are to be traveling together, may I ask your name? They call me Malena Shochita. Tainoch led the priestess back to the caravan, grinning from ear to ear. He did not realize that she was, in fact, Huitzilopochtli's only surviving sister. Even if he had, he was past the point of caring. The scorpion's venom had poisoned his mind, drawing him into a trance-like stupor. He could think only of the Red Priestess. A trail of snakes, spiders, and scorpions followed the priestess as she walked through the caravan. They scurried up the legs of the Mexica, biting and stinging everyone in their path. Oh dear, it seems that your foolish god has led you right into a nest of insects. What a bother. Come now, it's not so bad. I can make the biting stop. All you have to do is follow me, revere me, worship me. Yes, my goddess. 
Very good, priest. It's high time I taught my sweet baby brother a lesson about loyalty. Coming up, Huitzilopochtli faces a pest problem. Now back to the story. Huitzilopochtli had promised the Mexica that he would lead them to a new home. His mother had instructed him to look for an eagle sitting on a cactus, but he didn't know that his sister, Malina Xochitl, goddess of scorpions, snakes, and insects, had infiltrated the tribe and seduced their priest. In a tent, Tainoch lay on Malina Xochitl's bosom and listened to her voice. You will stop following Huitzilopochtli. Yes, my goddess. You will worship only me. As my mother's daughter, I will lead and inspire the people on her earth. Yes, my goddess. Do you want to know what will happen if you don't obey me? Yes, my goddess. Ouch! <laughs> there, there. That wasn't so bad. Just do your duty to me, and you shall be spared. Or do you want to feel it again? <laughs> Every time one of the Mexica disobeyed, they were stung by an insect. Meanwhile, Huitzilopochtli was soaring over the Mexica caravan in the form of a hummingbird. He looked down and saw that much of the tribe had stopped, he grew furious, sensing that they were disobeying him yet again. Then he heard the screams. Huitzilopochtli flew down and saw what had caused them to stop. The Mexica's legs were covered with bites and stings, and many were tending to swollen ankles and broken knees. What is happening here? He flitted through the camp, looking for his priest, Finally, he came across a tent he did not recognize and saw Tainoch passed out on the ground outside. Huitzilopochtli darted down to the entrance of the tent and peered inside. He saw the red priestess humming to herself and brushing her hair. As he watched, Huitzilopochtli noticed that the woman's locks hid a number of hissing snakes. Milena Xochitl! Wake up! My sister has infiltrated the tribe! Uh, but she will take us to the new place. What are you talking about? She tried to kill me the moment I was born. Now she has returned to finish the job. I must obey the goddess. So, she has turned even you against me. Very well. I will deal with her myself. Uh, no! Please! You must not harm her. You are not in your right mind. I know. A strange tempest clouds my thoughts. I cannot say which thoughts are my own and which are not, but I cannot bear to see the goddess die. Please, let us leave tonight while she sleeps. Leave her behind, as we did the Mexica who questioned you. I will do whatever you ask, if you only let her live. Huitzilopochtli did not know what to do. It was clear that Melina Xochitl had cast some sort of spell over Tainoch. He didn't know how long the spell would last, but he could not communicate with the Mexica people without the priest. Fine. We will do it your way. Get the people ready, but keep things quiet. 
As soon as my sister falls asleep, we will depart. And be sure to crush any of those infernal insects that try to follow us. <laughs> Thank you, Huitzilopochtli. Hours later, Melina Xochitl woke up to find the Mexica gone. She stretched and pushed herself up, surveying the abandoned campsite. Bravo, little brother. You showed yourself to be more clever than I expected. But you're too late. The seeds of your destruction have already been sown. Melina Xochitl placed a hand on her stomach. Already, she could feel the life growing within her. Take your time, my child. Grow strong. The Mexica have a long journey ahead of them. Before they reach the end, you will deliver my revenge. And Huitzilopochtli will join our siblings in the sky. <laughs> Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. We'll be back Tuesday with part two as Huitzilopochtli discovers the power of human sacrifice. For more information on the founding of Tenochtitlan, amongst the many sources we used, we found Mesoamerican Mythology by Matt Clayton, extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Mythology, for free, from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Mythology on Spotify, just open the app and type Mythology in the search bar. If you enjoy Mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Traditional fairy tales aren't exactly suitable for children, and every Wednesday we dive into another dark, classic tale. Join us next week for another epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound design by Michael Langsner, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, Isabella Way, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Mythology was written by Stacey Lee Nemec, with writing assistance by Greg Castro. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Tom Bauer, Joe Hernandez, KG Tang, and Rebecca Thomas. Mythology stars Vanessa Richardson. Mythology.